have a Bible, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error first matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 15. We're going to be looking at chapters 15 and 16 today. Modern man has a hard time with the wrath of God. It seems that a God that would judge us for our sins is, is a bit old-fashioned, it, makes God look too intolerant, too locked in the past, too vengeful for our taste. We hear about God's wrath and we, we think about God having a divine temper tantrum like a two-year-old out of control. Or we think about a grown man who is prone to fits of anger who cannot control himself. And, and after all, doesn't the Bible say that a wise man keeps himself under control, but a fool is the one who gives full vent to his anger. But despite what the secular world may think, or even what much of the evangelical church may believe, the wrath of God is a clear biblical truth. It affirms God's holy character, his righteous displeasure with sin, and his just retribution upon unrepentant sinners. J.I. Packard said it this way. He said, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. You see, God's wrath is not a loss of self-control, but rather a display of God's holy character. A holy God will never tolerate sin. And yet many of us in the church today want a God without wrath. In the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon that was entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And God used that sermon to begin a fire that literally brought a revival to America. And yet in many churches across America today, we want the wrath of God to be replaced with the power of positive thinking or your best life now. We want a feel-good theology rather than a theology that teaches that no one is good, not even one. And we must repent before a holy God. Richard Niebuhr in describing the liberal church of the mid-20th century said this. He said, a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. But you need to understand that God will judge sin. He will judge mine, he will judge yours, and he will judge the world's. Whether it's the sins of Washington, D.C., the sins of Hollywood, or the sins of Wall Street. 
whether it's the sins that occur in a back alley or a boardroom, all that is sin will be judged by God. God's wrath will be seen. The Bible makes that clear from cover to cover. In Psalm chapter 90, verse 11, it says, Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is awesome as the fear you deserve. In Jeremiah 10, verse 10, it says, But the Lord is the only true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. The whole earth trembles at his anger. The nations cannot stand up to his wrath. In Nahum chapter 1, verses 2 through 6, it says, The Lord is a jealous God filled with vengeance and wrath. He takes revenge on all who oppose him and continues to rage against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but his power is great, and he never lets the guilty go unpunished. In his presence, the mountains quake, the hills melt away, the earth trembles, and his people are destroyed. Who can stand before his fierce anger? Who can survive his burning fury? His rage blazes forth like a fire, and the mountains crumble in dust in his presence. Romans 1 verses 18 and 19 says, The wrath of God is being revealed in heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And Romans 2 verses 6 through 8 says, He, God, will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. And the tribulation is all about the wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, it says, And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. Who will be able to survive? And as we come to chapters 15 and 16 in Revelation, God's wrath is mentioned four times. Chapters 15 and chapter 16 both begin and end with God's wrath. And the reason is, these chapters are all about the wrath of God coming to an end. Now let me remind you. The book of Revelation breaks God's wrath down into three different parts. We first have the seal judgments of God. And then the seal judgments turn into the trumpet judgments of God. And then the trumpet judgments bring us to the bowl judgments of God, which are God's final judgment upon a wicked earth, a wicked world. And as you look at these series of judgments, you discover that they get progressively more severe until we finally see the coming of our Lord in all of his glory to make everything right. And so this morning, as we look at these two chapters and this, this final bold judgment that, that takes place on planet earth, there are four things I want you to see about the wrath of God. The first one is this. The seven last plagues bring God's wrath to completion. Listen to what it says in 
in verse 1. It says, Then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. Then that word translated last is the Greek word eschatos. It means to conclude. It denotes that this is God's final and decisive judgment upon sin. God is telling us that these plagues that are about to come upon the face of the earth will conclude the period of his judgment. The word that is translated completion is the Greek word teleo. It it doesn't mean simply to finish. It means to reach a goal. You see, these judgments are bringing God's plan, a plan that he has had in place since the beginning of time, to their glorious end. The flood that covered the earth. Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed by God. The, the inhabitants of the, the, the promised land being destroyed. Nineveh being destroyed are all examples of God's wrath on display. But when we get to chapters 15 and 16, we see that God's wrath is about to end. Because God is going to finally and ultimately put an end to sin. Understand, this world is headed to a collision course with the wrath of God. And you don't want to be here. And so these seven plagues bring the wrath of God to their completion. The second truth we see here is that these seven plagues cause a celebration in heaven. Listen to what it says in verse 2 and following. I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire and on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name they were all holding harps that God had given them and they were singing the song of Moses the servant of God and the song of the lamb great and marvelous are your works O Lord God the Almighty just and true are your ways O King of the nations who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. As the wrath of God is bringing torment to the people of the earth, we see the people in heaven celebrating. And the reason they are celebrating is because the wicked are receiving their just punishment. As John looks into heaven, he sees the redeemed saints who have been victorious over the Antichrist. These are those who love the Lord more than they love their own lives. They had been tortured, abused, put to death under the devil's system. But now they're in heaven and they are victorious. And they're singing songs of victory, praising the Lord God Almighty. Oh, listen to me, church. There's going to be a lot of singing and praising going on in heaven. That's why you need to be here at 7 o'clock for night of worship, to get in practice for what we're going to be doing in heaven. But why are they singing? Why are they celebrating? The reason is because all of their pain and suffering is behind them. Evil is finally being judged. Now understand, this world will have its share of trials and tribulations regardless of what generation we live in. But praise God, there's not going to be any of that in heaven. And I know there are some of you here who when you read about God judging people, the people of the world experiencing these horrible things, 
It bothers you. You would prefer that no one get judged. You would prefer that everyone get a pass. But a holy God cannot give everyone a pass. God must deal with sin. And if you read the Psalms, you will see David praying over and over again for the enemies of God to be judged. Understand, the wicked, those who have lived in rebellion to God, will one day be judged. And that will bring celebration in heaven. Here's the third truth. And that is, these seven last plagues are consecrated in the temple. And they display God's glory. Listen to what it says in verse 5 and following. Then I looked and I saw that the temple in heaven, God's tabernacle, was thrown wide open. And let me stop there for just a second because this is what I picture. I grew up loving to watch westerns. I don't know about you, but I enjoyed watching westerns. And in western movies, every now and then, you would see the doors of the saloon flung open. And out would come this gunslinger. And he was going into the streets to have a gunfight. And this is what I picture here. The doors of the temple are flung open and seven angels come out ready to wage war against the wicked people of the world. It says, then the seven angels who were holding the seven plagues came out of the temple. They were clothed in spotless white linen with gold sashes across their chests. And one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power. No one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completed pouring out the seven plagues. Everything that is about to happen is coming from a holy God and is a holy act because God is holy. Beginning in verse 5, John has this vision of the holy temple. And let me remind you that on earth, the temple was the central focus for the Jews. It was the place where the high priest would make a sacrifice covering the sins of the people. It was the place where the people of God found the forgiveness of God. But here, we see that the temple of God is no longer a place of redemption. The temple of God is no longer a place of forgiveness. It's a place from which the seven last plagues come. You see, the throne of mercy has become the throne of judgment. The angels are sent out clothed in white linen, symbolizing the divine righteousness that comes from God. And what they are about to do, even though it is horrific, is a righteous act. Look back to verse 3. In verse 3 it says, just and true are your ways. Everything God does is just. Everything God does is true and righteous. The Bible says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Now, the seven plagues that we see in chapter 16 are severe. And I believe they are literal judgments upon sin. Now, some of you may be saying, why should we look at these plagues that, that come in chapter 16 as literal? And I would say to you, why not? Why should we not look at them as literal? If the plagues that God brought upon Egypt were literal plagues, 
then why would we not think that the plagues that he's going to bring at the end of the age are not literal? But the thing I want you to see is this. Instead of repenting, these seven last plagues cause the people of the world to curse God. You see, instead of repenting and turning to God and giving him glory, the people of the world throw their fist up at God and curse him. Listen to what it says in verse 1. Then I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels, Go your ways, pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. So the first angel left the temple, poured out his bowl on the earth, and horrible, malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who had worshipped his statue. Now this plague affects the people of the world, those who have taken the mark of the beast with these terrible painful, malignant sores. When Jesus came to this earth the first time, he came to heal people of disease. But when Jesus comes this time, he's coming to bring disease. And there will be no relief inside. The doctor or the pharmacist that you would go to to find relief are struggling with the same condition you're struggling with, everyone who is a part of this world system, everyone who has worshipped the beast is tormented by these painful, malignant sores for the rest of the judgment of God. Now look at verse 3. It says, Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and everything in the sea died. Now and if you remember, looking back at the trumpet judgments, the second trumpet judgment Cause a blood to affect a third of the seas and a third of the animals of the sea died. But in this bold judgment, all of the seas, all of the oceans, all of the salt water turned to blood. And all the animals in the oceans, all the animals in the sea die. Every whale dies. Every shark dies. Every porpoise dies. Every um, octopus dies, every fish dies, every sea creature dead. And all of these sea creatures who die begin to bloat and they float to the top of the oceans and they make their way to land. Imagine the stench, imagine the decay, imagine the disease that takes place. And then listen to verse 4. And then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs and they became blood. And I heard the angel who had authority over all water saying, You are just, O Holy One, who is and who always was, because you have sent these judgments. Since they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, you have given them blood to drink. It is their just reward. And I heard a voice from the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, your judgments are true and just. Now in the rivers... And the springs, all of the fresh water turns to blood. If you remember, in the third trumpet judgment, a third of the rivers turn to blood. But this will complete that plague. There will no longer be any drinking water. And this is an example of us reaping what we sow. God says that they shed the blood of God's people, the prophets, and now they are giving blood to drink. God's judgment may seem harsh, God's judgment's always fair. It's always just. It's always right. 
And then listen to verses 8 and 9. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. They did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. Some of us lay in the sun or we go into tanning beds to get a sun tan. But here we see the people of the earth fleeing from the sun because the sun torments them. We hear a lot today about global warming. And I'm not a scientist and I don't know whether global warming is a reality or not. But I do know that one day we are going to experience global warming. One day the sun is going to burst through the atmosphere, and it's going to scorch the people of this earth. I was reading this past week that the normal, um, in, in its normal state, the sun pours out a continuous streams of rays that make its way to the earth at 3 million miles per hour. And the only reason today that the earth is not burned up is because we're surrounded by this field of radiation that protects us from the full exposure of the rays of the sun. But many people believe that this, this atmosphere, this magnetosphere that is protecting us is, is slowly um, disappearing. And one day it's going to disappear so that the full power of the sun will come through. I believe that's true. I believe it's going to happen. There's coming a day, the Bible says, when everyone will be burned by the blast of the heat of the sun. You may have lived through some times when there were terrible heat waves, but there's nothing like what the people of the world will experience on this day. You would think that when the world is experiencing all this, it would drive men to their knees, but it doesn't. The Bible says that they refuse to repent. They refuse to give God glory. They've so hardened their hearts that they're defiant toward God. Have you ever seen a, a child, a young child that is defiant to its parents? This past week I was in Marshalls and I was on one aisle and Obviously, there was a mom with a child on the other aisle, and I didn't see them at first, but, but this child was just throwing a fit. I mean, he was just yelling at his mama, telling his mama no, and I was sitting there going, when is this going to stop? I mean, and the mom was trying to be very patient, and I mean, she was, she was obviously a modern school mom, and she was being very patient with her child, and the child just was defiant. I mean, yelling at his mom, telling his mom no. And I was thinking to myself, I, I, I'll, I'll help you. I've got the solution. I've got the answer. But, but then I thought, no, I'll get arrested. Finally, the mom confronted the child. She picked up the child, and this was a big old child. And she picked up the child, and the child was kicking and screaming and yelling at its mother, defiant toward his mother. And the Bible says that's how it's going to be in the end days. And then listen to 10 and 11. It says, Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. His subjects ground their teeth, gnashed their teeth in anguish, and they cursed the God of heaven for their pains and sores. But they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. The fourth plague brings the power of the sun down upon the people of the earth. The fifth plague plunges the earth into total darkness you say how can that happen how can it be so hot and the sun shining through so bright at one time that people are scorched by it and the next moment it is completely dark well again I'm not a scientist but God can do whatever God wants to do he's God 
Have you ever been in complete darkness? Well, if you've just turned off your lights in your house, you haven't been. Because, I mean, when it gets dark like that, your eyes adjust to the darkness. And you can see movement even though it's dark. But if you go into a place like Carlsbad Canyons or Mammoth Cave, you know what real darkness is. You will be in that darkness, and no matter how long you stay there, no matter how long you try to adjust, you're not even going to see any movement in front of your face. And the Bible says there's going to be that kind of darkness, darkness to the point that people are gnashing their teeth in terror. Now, what is this fourth and this fifth bowl judgment all about? The sun scorching power, the darkness upon the earth with gnashing of teeth. I believe it's a prelude of hell. God is giving the people of the world a taste of what they're about to experience. Remember the Bible says that in hell there is a fire that never goes out. And Jesus said that hell is a place of outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So God is giving the people a taste of what they're in for. But do they repent? Do they fall on their knees turning to God, begging for God's mercy and forgiveness? No. They curse God. Now listen to me. I could be wrong. But I believe in light of this being in there, this telling us that the people did not repent, they did not give God glory, if they had repented, if they had given God glory, God would have forgiven them. God's mercy is so great. His love for us is so amazing that up until the very last hour, He has given the people of the world an opportunity to repent. And if they repent, He will forgive them. But they don't. They hold up their fists to God and they curse God. Now the next judgment, the sixth judgment, is a prelude to the end, the final battle. It says, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River, and it dried up so that the kings from the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God the Almighty. Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. When the sixth bowl judgment is poured upon the earth, the Euphrates River dries up, and this prepares the way for the kings of the east to march through and wage war against God. Verse 13 tells us about these demons that are sent out from this evil trinity to deceive the kings of the world to fight against God. And yet, even in the midst of all this, God gives a warning. Jesus pauses, and he tells us to not be caught unprepared. You see, the book of Revelation isn't written just to tell us what is going to happen in the future. The book of Revelation is written so that anyone and everyone who has an ear to hear will hear. 
and respond to God's mercy and grace. God doesn't want anyone to be left behind. And then we come to the final bowl judgment. It says, and then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple saying, it is finished. Then the thunder crashed and rolled, the lightning flashed, and a great earthquake struck. The worst since people were placed on the earth. The great city of Babylon split into three sections and the cities of many nations fell into heaps of rubble. So God remembered all of Babylon's sins and he made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island disappeared. All the mountains were leveled. There was a terrible hailstorm and hailstones weighing 75 pounds fell from the sky to the people below. They cursed God because of the terrible plague of the hailstorm. And notice how this begins. It says, from the throne, they heard the words, it is finished. This is not the same words that Jesus uttered from the cross. There, he was making the final payment for our sin. But here, this is completing God's judgment. It's time for God to take over. And as we come to this time, it's marked by the world's worst earthquake. And the world has experienced some horrible earthquakes. We read about other earthquakes in the book of Revelation, but this one is worse than any earthquake that has ever hit the world. And then we're told about the world's worst hailstorm, where hail is falling from the sky, weighing 75 pounds. It's as if God is giving the earth one last shaking before he makes everything new. And we are told the topography of the earth will be completely changed. The islands will pass away. The mountains will disappear. What happens at this point will be so catastrophic that the very topography of the earth will change. Many of the great cities of the world will be completely destroyed. We're told the great city Babylon, the central city of the beast, is split into three parts. And now the battle that is going to end all battles, Armageddon, is about to take place. But notice what the people do. They curse God. We're living in a day of grace, an age of mercy. And yet the people of the world aren't responding to God's mercy and God's grace and God's love. What are the people of the world doing? They are finding new ways to take sin lower than it's ever been before. They are thumbing their noses at God, holding up their fist at God. God's love, God's mercy, God's grace. It's coming a day when God is going to bring his wrath upon the earth. His judgments upon the world. And is sinful man going to bow then to God and repent and turn to him and give him the glory he deserves? No. God's love is rejected and God's wrath will be rejected. The wrath of God is coming and you want to avoid it at all cost. You see, the tragedy is the Bible teaches that sinful men will curse God until their final breath. And there may be some of you here who your heart is so hardened to God that you've made up your mind. 
I don't care what God does for me. I'm not going to bow my knee to him. And if that's where you're at, God, help you. My prayer is that your heart is still tender toward God because he loves you. And he has a wonderful plan for you. And he wants you to live for him, with him forever. And there is hope. There is a way that we can be spared from the wrath of God. I heard a story years ago about these men who were camping out in the prairie. And and a prairie fire came upon them. And if you've ever been in the prairie, you know it's flat. And there's just a lot of brush and dry brush and that prairie fire began to just really spread quickly and the wind began to blow which took the fire even quicker toward the men they were running trying to escape from the fire but they realized they couldn't get away that they thought they were going to die then one of the men had an idea he said here stand with me and he took some matches from his pocket and he lit some of the the um the grass that was around them on fire and it began to burn and another man said you're a fool what are you doing you want us to die before the fire gets to us you want to bring the fire to us he said no trust me and the fire that he lit began to burn toward the fire that was coming toward them and he said here step into the place where the fire is already burned if we would get into the place where the fire is already burned the fire can't burn where it's already burned we'll be safe and they stepped into there and they were spared they were saved 2,000 years ago God's wrath was poured out on the cross the Bible says in the book of Isaiah that it pleased God to pour out his wrath his anger upon Jesus Jesus took our sin upon himself on the cross you say that's cruel that's the only way our sin could be paid for God loved us so much that his son Jesus took the father's wrath upon himself so that we could be forgiven so that we could be restored so that we could be a part of God's family my prayer for you today is that you have experienced that grace and that mercy But if you haven't, oh dear brother and sister, please don't leave here without humbling yourself before God and giving Jesus your life. The Bible says the way that we do that is we repent, we turn from our sin. We don't just acknowledge we're sinners, we turn from our sin. We place our faith in Jesus, acknowledging that he is the only one who can take our sins away. And because of what he did for us, we surrender our life to him as the Lord of our life. And that's the only way we can be saved. That's the only way we can be delivered from the wrath that is to come. Have you done that? Have you turned from sin? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you surrendered to Jesus as your Lord? If you haven't, then I want to give you that opportunity today. I want you to bow your head with me. Close your eyes with me. And with your head bowed, with your eyes closed, if you're here and you've never done this or you're just not sure that you've done it, then I want to encourage you right here, right now, to humble yourself before a holy God and pray this prayer to him right now. Dear God, 
I humbly come to you this morning acknowledging that I am a sinner. I've lived life my way. I'm sorry. I don't want to live that way anymore. I'm turning from my sin. I'm placing my faith in you, Jesus. I'm giving you my life. From this moment on, I want to live for you. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. Fill me with your spirit. Make me bread Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving.